0: Yeah, hold on, I'm coming. Yes, sir. I have a package for Mr. Palmer. That's me.
1: Sign here, please. What is it? I've been delivering packages for 11 years now. You're the 34,860 first person to ask me that. I don't know what's in the package.
0: You keep track of that question.
1: Yeah, me back to the office gives me a nickel every time I hear it. Part of our union labor plan, the money goes into my retirement fund. <laughs> you know, could you sign this, verifying that you asked and I answered the question?
0: There you go. Very good. Thank you. Have a good day. You too.
1: Open up. It's Jake. Jake? Yeah, your neighbor.
0: Oh, Jake. What's with the box?
1: I can explain the box, but could you open it up? It's getting kind of hard to breathe in here.
0: (sighs) Hold on. Hold still. I got a knife.
1: Ow! My eye! Are
0: Are you okay? Oh, I'm just messing with you.
1: Hey, it's been a few weeks since I've seen you. How have you, you been?
0: Fine. And you? Well,
1: you know, a little stiff, but
0: I think I'll manage. Okay, what's with the box? Well, I use it to protect myself. Protect yourself? I don't get it.
1: Well, there's just so many bad things in the world, so many dangers and, and temptations, and I was just so tired of feeling guilty all the time. So to protect myself from getting put in these difficult situations, I travel by box.
0: What do you mean by difficult situations?
1: Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Things like, you know, not spending your money wisely, overeating at fast food restaurants, getting mad at people for driving too slow, uh, pretty girls walking by me all the time. All all of those
0: things that just seem to get the best of me. I see what's going on here. You're trying to keep yourself from things that cause you to sin. Exactly. And you think a little tape and cardboard is gonna protect you from sin.
1: Well, it's worked so far. I mean, I haven't sinned since. (laughs) You know, I was just so tired of giving in to temptation that, you know, now I'm free.
0: (laughs) Free inside a box. (laughs) Now that's an interesting perspective. Whatever works for you, I guess. You guess. Well, it seems like a awful extreme solution to an unavoidable problem. Okay, well, how do you handle temptation then? My relationship with Christ. I know whatever I do, I'm going to mess up from time to time, but the key is is remembering who I belong to. Wait, you belong to someone? I belong to Jesus Christ. He paid for my sins on the cross. I don't have to let temptation guilt me and shame me. In Jesus' eyes, I'm free from sin. Because I have a relationship with him and I love him. And that works for you? Yeah. Hmm. Well, you can keep your relationship. I think I'll stick with my box. Suit yourself. I just wanted to make sure you knew that there were better ways to deal with sin than putting yourself in a box. Anyway, what did you come over here for?
1: Oh yeah, Uh, do you have any mustard I can borrow? (laughs)
2: Thank you guys, what a great opening to our sermon this morning as we continue our study in the book of 1 John. There are certainly better ways to deal with our sins than to try to hide ourselves away from the world and as we're going to see this morning, John offers a prescription for us uh, from the Lord to deal appropriately with the reality of sin in our lives. I want to remind us of where we are as we study the book of 1 John. 1 John was written by the Apostle John. Roughly 50 years after Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, John at this time is the last living apostle. And John's heart is for the church. He's pastoring the church in Ephesus, but he's writing to churches all over modern-day Turkey to encourage these believers in the faith. Remember, as we talked about in the first week of our series, the church was, was 50 years old at this time, and we're talking now about second and third generation believers. All of those early believers, many of them had passed away, those believers who had seen Jesus, who had experienced those miraculous events in, in the early days in the book of Acts that we studied this spring. And, and now John is speaking to second and third generation Christians who are under incredible pressure in the culture in which they find themselves. They're in a situation where the Roman Empire is increasingly persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. They're under a situation where the culture around them is pressuring them to give up the truths of the faith, to walk away from the faith. They're questioning, is this worth it? We look so different. We're such a peculiar people from the world around us. Is following Jesus really worth it? But they're also facing the internal pressures of false teachers who are growing in the church at this time. As we talked about, the reality of these false teachers called the Gnostics, Gnostics who denied the reality of sin, who said that that the physical world was evil, that the spirit is good, and so we are untouched by the the things of this world, and so we are fostering spiritual realities. We no, no, no longer need to worry about the reality of sin in our lives. Sin is irrelevant, or we can conquer sin and, and, and purge our sin and, and really foster the spiritual life that's truly important to us. And so John is writing to these early Christians to encourage them to hold fast to the truths of the faith. Remember back in week one, we saw John declare, look at, I saw these things. I saw the Lord. We, we heard him, we saw him, we touched him. And John is saying, look at, I was there. Believe me, this is the truth, and he's encouraging these early Christians to hold fast to these truths, to continue walking with the Lord faithfully in light and love. And more specifically, this morning we're going to see John continue to address a fundamental spiritual issue that affects all of us, and that's the reality of sin and its consequences for our lives and our relationship with God. If you were here last week in our second week of the series, Pastor Justin did a terrific job introducing John's teaching on sin and our walk with the Lord. Last week, Pastor Justin covered 1 John uh, 1, 5 through 7. In verse 6, the heart of that passage, John says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth now how is that well in verse 5 John told us he says God is light and in him there is no darkness at all now friends this is crucial for us to understand John says there's no gray area when it comes to our walk with God you're either practicing the truth or you're not you're either in the light or you're in the darkness You're either in a right relationship with God or you're not in a right relationship with God. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. When it comes to to sin and rebellion against God, our world loves to speak about shades of gray. But John says there's no shades of gray. You're either walking in the light or you're walking in darkness. And now today, John's gonna continue to speak to these themes the, the reality of our Christian walk and our faithfulness to the Lord and our, and our ongoing battle with sin. And friends, please understand this. This is a battle that we're in. We are in a spiritual war, a spiritual battle with sin. Jesus said in John ten ten, speaking of Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. And life abundantly. You see, Satan's goal for your life is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy, the joy that comes in walking in fellowship with the Lord. He he wants to he wants to kill your hope. He wants to get you to believe that when you stumble into sin, when you fall into sin, your hope for restoration, your hope for reconciliation is gone, it's over. There's no there's no chance of forgiveness. And so he wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your hope. And as he does that, his ultimate goal is to destroy you spiritually. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. And John is going to reveal to us this morning in our passage one of the keys to experiencing abundant life in Jesus Christ. See, John is going to reveal to us today that when it comes to the reality of sin, there are only two options as to how we respond. There's only two options. We can either court our sin or we can confess our sin. We can court our sin, and to court our sin is to embrace it, to foster it, to engage in an ongoing relationship with it. And as we'll see today, taking this option is to live in open rebellion against God. The other option is to deal honestly and directly with our sin as God prescribes by confessing it and maintaining right fellowship with him. And we're going to look at both of these options this morning. Now the passage we're in today is 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 through chapter 2, verse 2. And again, we're continuing John's description of our confrontation with sin that Pastor Justin began last week in verses 5 through 7. So starting in verse 8 of chapter 1, John says this, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Here in these verses, John tells us we've got two options when it comes to our sin. Two options. We can either court our sin or we can confess our sin. I want to look at both of these options this morning and ask the question, are we courting our sin or are we confessing our sin? What what does it look like to court our sin? Well, John reveals two ways, two ways that we court our sin. The first is in verse 8. And the first way we court our sin is by saying that we have no sin. John says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, you might be thinking to yourself this morning, well, who on earth would ever claim that they have no sin? I mean, friends, just a, a simple examination of, of human behavior and human nature reveals that there's something fundamentally wrong with us. We, we had 250 kids here this week for VBS. Cute little kids. I mean, little kids, beautiful little kids running around the building. But you want to know something? They were a bunch of sinners. <laughs> I'm telling you, I mean, you're kids. All right, Todd? Cute little kids. But they got issues. I'm sitting in my office. Wednesday morning, I'm trying to study. I'm diving into God's word, digging in, trying to sermon prep. And all of a sudden, guess what happens? Kids come running by my office door, knock on my door. I go to answer my door. They're gone. They're playing ding-dong ditch with the pastor. Bunch of sinners. Friends, you don't have to look very hard to realize there's something wrong with us. So, how on earth could we ever say that we have no sin? Well, remember, friends, John was writing to Christians who were being influenced by this new cult called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics claimed to be Christian, but they claimed that they were either spiritually unblemished by sins committed in the body, because again, remember, the body doesn't matter, only the spirit matters. So, so we were unblemished by the sins of the body or they claimed to have attained freedom from sin through their rigid self-denial and asceticism that they could somehow overcome their sin. And so this is the people that John is talking about. If you claim to have no sin, all of the Christians he's writing to would have thought of these Gnostics claiming to be free from sin. But whether, in either case, whether they were unblemished by the sins committed in the body or whether they claimed that they had attained sinless perfection, the reality was John is saying they're deceiving themselves. They're deceived. And more than that, he says the truth is not in them. See, the reality is we all have a problem, friends, a fundamental problem. We've done this exercise here a few times over the years, but it's important to do this again. We have a lot of new people here this morning, so I want to do a little exercise with us this morning, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the person next to you. Just lean over to the person next to you and take a big whiff, okay? Get a big whiff. Smell the person. Go ahead. Smell the person sitting next to you, okay? This is important this morning. Go ahead, okay? Now, friends, let me ask you a question, what do you smell? I'll tell you what you smell. You either smell that person's stink or you smell something covering up their stink. <laughs> right? Am I right? Okay. And the reality is, by nature, we as human beings stink. Okay? We stink. Now, we stink physically, but more importantly, more significantly, we stink spiritually because of our sin. The Bible says that all of us are infected with a spiritual disease. And so by nature, we are sinful people. We are rebellious people. We inherit this rebellion, whether we we choose it or not. It's ours at birth. The Bible tells us in passages like Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Psalm 14, two through three, God said, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there were any who understand, who seek after God. And what did God find? He found that they all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Friends, God's word tells us we have a problem. We stink. We are spiritually corrupt because of our sin. And while we don't have the the cult of Gnosticism present with us today, friends, there are millions, literally billions of people in our world today who still claim that they're without sin. Do you realize that? Philosophies and religions still in our world claiming to be without sin. For example, we have the, the, the reality of secular humanism, probably the dominant philosophy in our country today. Secular humanism that says men and women are basically good. And we just need to follow our hearts and, and pursue our own thoughts of what is right and wrong. Secular humanism says we're not guilty of anything. In fact, if we're guilty of anything, we're only guilty of feeling guilty. Because humanity is basically good. Friends, that's not the truth. That's a lie. We have religions like the religion of Islam. Islam which denies the reality of original sin. We're not sinners. Our problem is we're simply forgetful. We forget the laws of Allah, and so we need guides to lead us. You got cults and religions in the New Age movement, for example, that says, we're not sinners, no. We, we just have forgotten the reality that we are gods ourselves. And, and if we would just foster our own divinity, we would experience global peace and harmony. And then you got religions like the Hindus and the Buddhists who say that this whole world's just an illusion. Sin's an illusion. Friends, there are literally billions of people today in our world who would deny the reality of sin. But here in God's word, we're told that to embrace any of these views is to deceive yourself and to be outside of God's truth. Friends, that's a dangerous place to be to be outside of God's truth. But as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Our world is blind to the truth today. They think they're in the truth, but they're outside of the truth because they've been blinded by the lies of the enemy. Now there's a second way that we court our sin according to John. The second way that we court our sin is by saying that we have not sinned. And in verse 10, John says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. How many of you have ever said that you haven't sinned? In the first case, John is talking about sin in general. In the second case, he's talking about specific sins. When we say, no, I haven't sinned. See, this verse hits on an aspect of sin that I think is much more relevant for us today. Uh, especially those of us in the church. You see, our issue today is not so much that we claim sinlessness, as in verse 8, but our issue is more about disputing with God about what counts as sin, right? What counts as sin? See, here's how it works. We we live in rebellion against God or we choose to ignore his guidance for our lives, but then we declare, no, I, I haven't sinned. I'm not doing anything wrong, this past week, I was thinking about a, a friend of mine in college, a, a close buddy of mine. He ended up in this relationship with this girl. They ended up sleeping together. Myself and some of our buddies went and confronted him and said, Look, at this, this is outside of God's will for your life. You're engaged in extramarital sexual relations with somebody. And he said, Whoa, 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 guys, who are you to judge me? Okay? I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong. We love each other, and besides, we intend on getting married. But here's the thing, you're not married. And to have sexual relations with somebody you're not married to, the Bible calls that fornication. It's sin. It's rebellion against God's will for our lives. But see, this is what we do. We try to justify our sins by explaining them away, by, by, by writing them off as being not of significance, of consequence. And, friends, when we do this, all we're doing is justifying our sins by making ourselves the arbiters of what is right and wrong. In other words, we end up placing ourselves in a position of authority above God. We say we know better than God. And John says that when we do this, we make God into a liar. Because God says one thing is right or wrong true or false, and we say, no, 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 it's not that big of a deal. Friends, when you do that, you're telling God that he's a liar, that the truth he's revealed to us is irrelevant. It doesn't matter to us. Now, we do this all the time in a whole bunch of ways, friends. Every single one of us in this room, I guarantee is guilty of it. Have you ever cheated on your taxes, for example? And you justify it by saying, ah, you know, I was only a, a few dollars away from that deduction. I mean, it's just a few dollars, nobody's gonna notice. Justifying your sin. Have you ever told a lie? But it, it wasn't really, it was just a little white lie, right? We justify our sin. How how many of you have ever gossiped about a brother or sister in Christ? Well, I'm not really gossiping. I I was sharing a prayer request with a friend. (laughs) Or how many of us have justified our pornography use? You know, God wants me to be happy, and I'm not being fulfilled in my marriage, and so I just, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm not hurting anybody. Friends, we justify our sin, and we make God into a liar, John says. Our culture even does this. It's not just individuals who do this. Our culture does this. Friends, if if you've had your eyes open the last few weeks, you'll see on social media and on the news, our whole culture this month is celebrating Pride Month. Pride Month. Celebrating what God says is sin. Now, friends, I love homosexual people. My heart breaks for homosexual people but they are living in open rebellion against God's truth. See, when we live in rebellion against God's truth, we make ourselves the arbiters of what is good, what is true, what is right and wrong. And John says we make God into a liar. God God is the one who defines truth, not us. And so we notice at the end of verse 10, John says that when we deny our sins, not only do we make God into a liar, but he says that his word is not in us. And friends, I'm gonna tell you something, to be devoid of God's word is a very serious thing. It's living your life in error. It's living your life in opposition to God. And God himself says it's to live the life of a fool. Proverbs 1, 7 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction Proverbs 18:2 A fool does not delight in understanding but only in revealing his own mind his own opinion Proverbs 28:26 He who trusts in his own heart is a fool but he who walks wisely will be delivered Friends on and on the Bible tells us That when we do life according to our own wisdom, we walk the path of the fool. But when we submit to God's truth, we walk in the light, we walk in fellowship with God. Now, as verse 26 here tells us in Proverbs 28 he who walks wisely will be delivered. And so, John has given us a prescription, God's prescription for our sin. How do we deal with our sin according to God's prescription? Well, John gives us an answer. It's one word, confession, confession. And what does confession look like, friends? Well, John highlights two points on confession in this passage. First of all, in verse 9, John says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the first thing that confession looks like, according to John, number one, confession is agreeing with God. In fact, the word confess here in the Greek, the Greek word is homologeo. It's a combination of two words, homo, which means same, logeo, which means to speak. And so in other words, when John says confess your sins, he is saying this, you say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. That's what confession is. It's literally saying the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. So we're acknowledging that God is the authority. He's the boss. He's the arbiter of truth. He's the one who tells us what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. See, friends, confessions a reality check. Confession is a reality check reminding us that I'm not the boss. Confession is me saying to God, God, I agree with you that I have chosen to rebel against you. God, I agree with you that when you say my use of pornography is sin, that that is sin, God. God, I agree with you that when I lie or when I cheat or when I gossip, that I have sinned. And so when we confess, we are agreeing with God. And friends, understand this confession takes a posture of humility confession is about humbling yourself under the authority of god we don't like to do that because we're prideful people we're sinful people we stink okay one of the consequences of our stink is we think we're the boss we're in charge and we don't like to humble ourselves for anyone but remember this friends you're the creation he is the creator And so we need to humble ourselves and agree with God, say the same thing with God that our sin is. Our sin is sin in his eyes. And so we confess our sins. And look what happens when we confess our sins. Verse 9, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that good news or what? One of my favorite suits, one of my favorite suits I wore to a wedding a few years ago. And I got a, uh, in the reception later, I was eating some chicken parmesan and I spilled some chicken on my pants and I've got a stain, a grease stain on my pants. It bums me out every time I wear that suit. Now, people won't see it from a distance, but every time I look at it, I, I see the stain. It's there. It's always there. I can't get rid of it. But see, that's not how it works with God, friends. John tells us when we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous and he forgives us of our sins and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. That word cleanses us is is literally it means to blot them out. He removes them permanently. The stain is gone. Isn't that great to know, friends, that you can live without the guilt and consequence of those ongoing blemishes when we live in rebellion against God? But to experience that, we need to agree with God that our sin is sin. We need to humble ourselves under his authority. But God is faithful and he's righteous and he will forgive us of our sins and he'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I tell you what, friends, I am so thankful this morning that I can stand up here today and tell you that we have a heavenly father who is good and loving and gracious and forgiving. Because without that, we would all be in desperate trouble. But our God is a God of grace and love. And so we confess our sin. Secondly, John tells us, in addition to confessing, in addition to agreeing with God, we need to trust our advocate. Confession is about trusting our advocate. In verse Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, John says, My little children, I'm writing these things so that you do not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. John says we need to trust our advocate. The word advocate here, friends, is a Greek word, parakletos. Not parakeet, Parakletos, and the Greek word parakletos means one who pleads another's case. One who pleads another's case. When I was in high school, junior year of high school, I was in a car accident. Middle of an intersection, a girl ran the intersection, hit my car, my car ended up hitting another car. There ended up being like five, six cars involved in this accident. Well, one of the guys involved in the accident ended up suing everybody. Myself included. I didn't do anything wrong, but I got sued. And our insurance companies started countersuing. It was this big, huge mess. But you know what? When it came time for the court case, I didn't even have to go to court. I didn't have to stand before the judge. You know why? Because I had an advocate, a lawyer who went and stood before the judge on my behalf. And that's what John says Jesus is for us. We have an advocate. We have one who pleads our case before God. He pleads our case so that we don't have to stand in front of God. And the basis for Jesus' advocacy for us with the Father and the power of his advocacy for us before the Father comes from the fact, John says, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Now, this is a word we don't use very often in our modern-day language. But propitiation is an important word. In the Greek, the word is helasmos. Jesus became helasmos. And what does that mean? It means the means of appeasing wrath. Jesus became the means of appeasing wrath. Now you have to ask the question whose wrath? Friends, Jesus became the means of appeasing God's wrath. God's wrath against us, God's wrath against our sin and rebellion. See, the reality is we have a holy, righteous, just God, and God cannot tolerate sin. He hates our sin, but he also loves us, and because God knew that there was nothing we could do of our own accord to breach the chasm created by our sin, God... Sent his son Jesus Christ to be our advocate, to be halasmos for us, the means of appeasing God's wrath. And so, friends, while our sin deserves death and punishment, Romans 6:23 says, the wages of our sin is death, Jesus became chilasmos. He became the propitiation. He became the means of appeasing God's wrath. Jesus hung on the cross and paid the penalty for my sin and your sin, the penalty you all deserve to pay because you stink in the nostrils of a holy, righteous God. But in God's great love, he bore the punishment. He became Helasmos, the means of appeasing wrath. And as a result of what Jesus did for us, God tells us in Hebrews 10, 17 and 18, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Why? Because Jesus was the means of appeasing God's wrath. Friends, we have an advocate with God, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we can trust him because he himself is halasmos, the propitiation, the means of appeasing God's wrath over our sin. And God appeased our sin through his son, Jesus Christ, because of his love for us. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Friends, have you put your trust in Jesus as your advocate? If you haven't, what on earth are you waiting for? Because right now, without an advocate, God looks at you and he sees you in your full, full nature of sin. He sees all your sin, and it's abhorrent in his eyes. And one day you will stand in the presence of that God. And without an advocate, without a propitiation, halas most someone who takes that wrath from you, you will face the full burden of God's judgment. And you will spend eternity separated from God because that's the penalty for our sin. Don't face that God without an advocate. Receive his offer of grace. Receive his gift of propitiation. Trust in Jesus and experience the forgiveness that leads to reconciliation and restoration with our holy creator. God has provided the advocate for us, friends. But you need to choose to receive him. And for those of us this morning who have put our trust in Christ, friends, understand this is why we are here today worshiping. This is why we praise Jesus on Sunday mornings because he is Helasmos. He is the propitiation. He is the means of appeasing God's wrath. I can stand and praise my creator because he has provided a way for me to be saved. I didn't deserve it. But he loved me so much that he sent his very son to provide a means, to build a bridge, to stand between me and God's wrath. And so I praise Jesus every Sunday because I never want to forget what he's done for me. Friends, never forget that's what Christianity is all about. We have a loving Savior who provided a means of appeasing God's wrath so that we could stand in the presence of God and worship and praise and joy and life and life abundantly. See, John tells us here there's only two options when it comes to our sin. You're either courting your sin or you're confessing it. And friends, I'll tell you something. The choice you make here makes all the difference. Confess your sin leads to life, life abundantly. To court your sin is to fall into the enemy's hands. He he wants nothing more than to steal your joy and kill your hope and destroy your soul. But you can avoid that by turning to Jesus as your advocate. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even though we have sinned and rebelled against you, that you have provided a means, God, for reconciliation. That in your son, Jesus Christ, when we turn to you in confession, that he becomes our advocate. He has borne the wrath that we all deserve. And he did it because he's... He's loving and he's gracious. And Lord, we thank you for that love, for that grace, for that means of appeasing the wrath of God and your holiness and your righteousness against sin. May we never take that for granted, Lord, and may it drive us to our knees in prayer and praise and ongoing confession when necessary to, to maintain that right relationship with you. But Lord, we are thankful for your amazing grace. And Jesus, I just want to pray if there's anybody here this morning who has never trusted in you as their advocate, that right now, Lord, even right now, in the quiet of their own heart, that they might just say a simple prayer, Jesus, I want to receive the gift of salvation right here today. I don't want to stand alone anymore before a holy, righteous God. Jesus, I want you to stand in my place as my advocate. And so, Jesus, I trust in you. I trust in the grace that you poured out on the cross. I trust in you as my forgiver, as my cleanser, my redeemer, my savior. And Jesus, I wanna live for you. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I'm gonna invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. God bless you, everyone.